Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 171, November of 2023. Our guest this month is Kelly McBurnett Andronicus. She is a playwright whose work explores various cultures and belief systems. Her full-length plays are about, as she says, women and events you've likely never heard of. She goes on to say that she's lived in a few different places, enjoys getting to know a place through its often obscure history, and she has at least one play for every region she's lived in. She was also a finalist in the 2023 Stowe Labs competition. Well, um, so the way that that worked, um, they Stowe Labs worked with the New Mexico Film Commission, New mm -hmm. Mexico Film Office, I think is what it's called to kind of seek out and nurture some uh, potential screenwriters in the state. Because um, you may be aware that the state of New Mexico has this huge booming film industry here. And there's not a lot of people who actually live here. It's a pretty sparsely right. populated yeah. state, right? And of those people, not many of them do film or theater. So this is uh, one of the ways in which the state of New Mexico is kind of trying to build up the the um, talent base um, so that they're not importing people from California, right, to do sure, this. Yeah. So this was their one way to do that. So they got over 100 applications. I actually only made the top 20. And of those 20, they took 10. Um, they called us the 20, the finalist, and then I, right. I'm not sure what they called the 10. But I didn't make the top cut of 10. Uh, I think I was the, I That's may a, have been the only playwright and not any of them. Most of the other people that I could tell were all screenwriters and or yeah. some kind of filmmaker. And I have zero experience in that. So sure. for whatever reason, I didn't make the top 10, but I did make the top 20 finalists. Well, I would so, call that a serious lack of um, taste on their part. <laughs> I, I appreciate your vote of confidence. <laughs> and, you know, you know, you know how subjective all of these things oh are. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I do. Yes. I mean, I, I was sad for five minutes and then was like, OK. Yeah. Because because what that meant, actually, um, had I gotten to that program, it was a pretty intensive mm -hmm. uh, commitment. And what it was going to mean was that I was going to have to sideline this other play I've been working on for a long time. And uh, my goal for this play is to finish it. It doesn't even have to be good. It just has to be finished. And so I knew that that was going to derail that. And so that also kind of made me sad. It's like, well, if I get into this program, I won't get to finish this play called Maria Rasputin in Spangled Land. And I love so, it. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> so, I want to play Rasputin. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, so the upside is I'm still working on that play. And when I get off the off the interview with you, I'm going to go back to writing it. <laughs> okay, well, I'll try and make this as fast as possible then. Uh, thank you very much for being here. And um, <laughs> you said something I, I, I wrote down I was going to ask you later. It doesn't have to be good. It has to be finished. Um, I don't necessarily hear that a lot from writers. Can you – how did you get to that point? I mean, what <laughs> – what exactly. brought you, what what vicissitudes and vagaries in life brought you to this little plateau where that actually spoke to you? So, 
back when I lived in Ithaca, which is how I know Ithaca, you. Ithaca, New York, yes. Uh, shout out. Um, I, you know, I was in, you know, I was in the Ithaca Shakespeare yeah. Company. Yes. And I, I was, uh, had low, low seniority in the, in the ranks there for women's roles in Shakespeare, of which there are very few, as you know. Yeah, and, but they're all um, choice, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I did get some great roles. I loved yeah. doing the, I do it, loved doing that while I did it. Mm -hmm. um, but as I got older, I realized I had harder and harder time re remembering lines, yeah. especially Shakespeare. It's not like you can just wing it. <laughs> <laughs> you could. Who in the audience is going to know anyway? Really? I can't worn out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't wing Shakespeare, uh, and realized I was actually an introvert and hated being on stage. And, uh, and, and, um, I'm a morning person and I hated being out after dark. And so I was like, I hate being on stage. This is terrible. So I started writing or I decided I was going to be a writer. I just decided I'm going to be a writer. <laughs> then I had to like, come up with something to write. So my first, I decided I was either going to write a, a novel or a play. Um, and it came down to, well, I think it'll be easier to write a 60 page play than a 400 page novel mm. and where I got those page numbers. I have no idea, well, yeah. but of course that was foolish because it's not. And so I wrote my first play and my only goal for it was to finish it. <laughs> it didn't mm -hmm. have to, I mean, I wanted it to be good. I didn't think it would be good. And apparently it's not very good because it's not nowhere. I still believe in that play and I'm going to come back to it later. I've been exactly. rewriting my first play since 1994. <laughs> Great. That makes yeah. me feel not good about it at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's the one play I keep going back to in between all the other ones that I've done in the meantime. Um, so do you, I feel like I didn't do it justice. Is that, is like, is that how you feel about it? Uh, no. I didn't first, do the subject justice. First plays are like, I don't know. I, I had a friend of mine say, First plays are like your first kid. You're going to completely screw them up. Kids two, three, and four, you've already learned what not to do. So they stand a chance of staying out of jail. Yeah. Right? Um, writing is a process, and writing is like practice. It's, it's, it's like being a musician. You know, writing your first song is, is okay, but you, you only bring that out on special occasions. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this, this is my first child, and she's like a yeah. spinster that still lives here at home. But well, the, the, good, the other children know? have moved on. And the funny thing is, is that I couldn't decide which play I was going to write when I decided to write a play. Was it going to be about this prophet from upstate New York who was androgynous mm -hmm. and was raised from the dead, which is what I ended up writing about? Or is it was it going to be about the axe murderer moonshiner story that happened in my hometown? Um, so I did the prophet one. The second yeah. play I wrote was To Tread Among Serpents, which was the one that, you know, grew up and did great things and yeah. left the house and was off off Broadway last year. So <laughs> who knows if I had switched those, if I would have wrecked, you know, the one about the moonshine snake handler. You know, that that's a question for late at night. It really is. It's It's just <laughs> something to keep you going until you fall asleep. Right. So anyway, coming back to your original question, which was, um, I had a pretty intense job at Purdue University for the last four years. And mm -hmm. so 
it, it, it was mentally exhausting. And so I started writing Maria Rasputin in Spangleland, which is the true story of Rasputin's daughter and how she ends up in a circus in rural Indiana uh, in a bear act in which, unsurprisingly, she gets mauled. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I've been writing this play. I mean, I, I, I did, you know, it was one of those things where I woke up and said, I'm going to write a play about the circus, which is, you might as well say, I'm going to write a play about Europe. And it took me a lot of circling around to find the story there. Um, and so I've been working on it for mid, for several years now, which is unlike me. Um, and so that's why my goal is to just finish it. And it's a bizarre play. It, that may, No, that makes perfect sense because some plays take longer than others. And the longer you sit with one, the more you invest your time, creativity, life into it. And the more you think in the back of your head, oh my God, I really want this to not suck. Um, and then part of you is like, just, just let me finish it. Just let me finish it. And then I can, you know, go change my clothes and take a shower. Um, <laughs> Right. Well, see, I, I so I've written some 10 minute plays, you know, in, in the interim, but I haven't finished a full length play since, you know, for like probably four or five years ago, which mm -hmm. I was churning them out once a year. Sure. Before that, with 10 minutes, you know, in yeah. between, you know, I, I and think, so I, I feel very guilty about it. Nah, 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 don't, no, no, don't. We go in cycles, full length plays are bears. You live with them. They move in. They take over your life. They, you know, they dominate the conversation at the dinner table. Um, they're really obnoxious until you can put, you know, get them up and get them out of the house. But in the meantime, yeah. in between, because they're so monstrous. Yeah. Uh, you, you and I are similar. I, I write a big old full length play. And then I think I can't do this again. I got to write something shorter. I'm just going to you know, fly off and, and write something that community theaters will do that has, you know, little <laughs> substance and a lot of comedy and something like that. Um, yes, yes. But I think we both live for these giant plays and, and some of the ones you've written are so full of meaning and content and, you know, to tread with serpents is, is one. It's, you know, I read that in one sitting. Poison Squad of Whispering Women. I mean, where did that come from? That's, that's, it's historical. And those have their own ghosts to deal with. But yeah, I know, mm. I know exactly what you mean. Just finish the damn thing and we'll make it good later. Exactly. We'll fix yeah. it later. Anybody who, to, anybody who says to me, well, I finished my plays right there and they're just good to go. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. All right, this is my table. Go sit somewhere else. You wrote in your NPX statement, which I love. It's one of my favorite NPX statements. Those who share a fascination, you write about those who share a fascination with the intersection of whimsy and the disturbing. And that spoke to me because I live for dark comedies. I love to laugh at things that other people are like, oh my goodness, what, what, what you? you know, but we see the humor in this. And yes, we're probably a little disturbed, but that's fine. What does it take to pull something like that out of the hat? Well, I, I think I retro engineered that statement. I think I was, I was, so first of all, mm. uh, here's an admission. I was writing serious plays that people laughed at. 
<laughs> so right. I didn't know they were dark comedies. <laughs> I was dead serious about these things. <laughs> so what was that revelation like? All of a sudden, people are laughing at your, your air quotes, serious work here. Um, <laughs> you know, how did you, how did you come around to this? what looks to be a fully adult, mature realization and compromise with, you know, uh, with the way your work has turned out and the way the audiences have adjusted to it or the, the way they've received it. I mean, I guess I, you know, when I started seeing it from other, through other people's eyes, I thought, oh, I guess that is funny. I mean, the women's Ku Klux Klan, that's kind of funny. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I think it's just my way of dealing with hard subjects. You know, I grew up in the Deep South, mm -hmm. um, which is just, of course, you know, laden with Gothicism, you know, and I, I grew up uh, in cemeteries, basically. I mean, we're always going to the cemetery to put flowers on somebody's grave. Sure. And the cemeteries were the most beautiful places uh, in town because, you know, they had mag blooming mag magnolias and azaleas and, and, um, and I think that's where this kind of gothic aesthetic took root. I, I don't. I don't think I ever had a choice. I think it's just part of right, how yeah. I was. Mm -hmm. I was brought up. But at the same time, I think um, there was a lot of death in my life as a child, and I've found it both fascinating. You know, I was kind of wrangling with heavy subjects as a as a small kid, and. Um, I think just laughing at it is, I mean, what else, I mean, you know, as they say, you're either going to laugh or cry at it. So might as well laugh at it. Yeah. It's a defense mechanism, I think, in a, in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. But, but writing a serious, I mean, serious drama here that is, you know, meant to be taken with all sorts of bad, horrible feelings gets a little draining after a while. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the writers that I've I've read and a lot of the writers that I've talked to, if you don't throw some comedy in there, if you don't throw something in to leaven this, it's going to be deadly. <laughs> and the, the tone of the piece, right, which is depressing, which is nihilistic, which is, you know, nothing good is going to come of this, heightens the comedy to a point where the audiences have been dying for just a little, relief and oddly enough that's a lot of the stuff that the audiences remember later was that joke was that weird twist where you sit there and go whoa did not see that coming um that was kind of funny and they walk out and it allows them allows you to hit them with another 20 minutes of content buys you some time <laughs> yeah it does buy you some time but what it does is it, it it makes the play more palatable. It doesn't it doesn't have to be you know clowns running around in red noses and funny shoes, but it has to be something that lightens the mood just for a little bit and allows you to breathe, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the best dramas are those that can be called dark comedies or the ones that do have comedic elements because you can keep the audience going twice as long. But. Yeah, I don't know that I could write a serious, I mean, even, well, I did try, I tried to write a serious play, and mm -hmm. apparently I couldn't do it because people just laughed at it. So I'm a well, failure, George. No, 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 no. That's not a failure. 
That is so not a failure. You've written a beautiful dark comedy. Just look at it that way. It was accidental, but. <laughs> oh, you know, how many people have come up to you after a workshop or after a play and said, I really like the way you did this. And you sit there and go, I did that. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. you know, it just came to me one day. I didn't think much of it. Blah, blah, and you get all you know, humble and that sort of thing. And they look at you like you're a little god. Exactly. I'm so glad that you understand me. <laughs> I don't I don't engineer any of these things. They just come out this way. Well, your subconscious does, I believe, you know. Um, I'm just not that smart. It's the thing. Well, if you're pulling this stuff out and slapping it on the paper, yeah, 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 I guess you are. <laughs> no, no, it's you get caught in the plays and the plays get caught in you. Once you get into something, you start living with it, you become siblings, you become symbiotic. And you can't do anything without repercussions happening in the play. And, and the play sometimes takes over. I mean, how many times have you sat there and looked at what you've just written and go, I really wasn't planning to go there, but obviously that's where they want to go. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I have this trick I, I do with my characters. Um, first of all, some of the best advice that was ever given to me as a writer was give yourself permission to write badly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but in order to do that, I have to take it off the page and put it on a separate page. Like, like I can't, can't sully my, you know, my brilliant script okay. yeah, <laughs> with, sure. with this experimentation over here. So I take it off the page and I let them kind of run around and do what, you know, do what they want and see if there's anything useful there. And, and almost always there is, and it's always, it's almost always something totally shocking, surprising you didn't see coming mm -hmm. and you had no idea they were going to say that. And now you got to roll with it because that's what they yeah. said. And yeah. then you transfer it back to your script. <laughs> well, it's 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 a journey. You have to go here, there, and there to get to this place. Mm -hmm. All right? You just can't make the leap and go from point A to point X. You've got to go through G, H, M, whatever. Um, right. And that's the process. I like to think about, in the full-length plays, I like to think about how I get all of my characters stranded all over town at intermission. And, you know, I have to have them all back at the same place by six o'clock <laughs> at the end of the play. So how, how am I going to do, you know, I scatter them and then how do I, how do I get them back? That's yeah. That's a nice way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, you wrote my full length plays are about women and events, women and events, you've likely never heard of. You do a lot of historically based stuff. Uh, and that's its own completely different animal than just writing something that comes out of you know the top of your head or writing something modern that's a part of a culture that you're you know so familiar with and or obsessed with, right? This you reach out and you you find things that the rest of us didn't know about. Um, you know, women whispering about the clan and and you know, other things. What's your process for doing this kind of historical research? Do you enjoy it? Is it a bear? How long do you spend? You know, it's it's not like you're just thinking this stuff up and popping it down on the page. This takes work. Well, it's easier for me because it's a it's a cheat. Right. Like I don't have to rely on my own imagination, which I think must be lacking. <laughs> I don't have so I go find some other story to write. Somebody's <laughs> already written the play for you. 
Yes. And I just I have to take, I take some facts and I arrange them in such a way that tells a story. <laughs> That's exactly what I think when I'm doing my own historical plays. Like, this is easy. No, it's not. <laughs> I still have 12 weeks of research to do. What, what, so I love the research part. I, yeah. I usually limit myself to about nine months of, of reading historical material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and sometimes you go down these rabbit holes and it may or may not be useful. So that takes some time. Um, and I'm very, and I'm a very slow reader, very, very slow. So it takes me a while, but it's about nine months. I have to cut myself off or I would just stay there forever. Yeah. And so th there was a while there where I thought I have to have something to show for all of this reading I've done on the subject. And so that was another reason why I started writing plays is like, well, I spent all this, I wasted, I wasted all this time reading these books. So I better have some product to show at the very end of it. So I, you know, write a play out of that. But I, I, the research part is the easy part for me, the reading and all of that. That's, that's easy. And I'd stay there forever. Like I said, it's just the, the disciplined part of putting it into some kind of story on page is that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I always have a battle between the historian and the playwright because the historian screams at me, this is important. It needs to be in there. And the playwright is like, mm, yeah, maybe, I don't know. We're going to, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I forget, do you forget, like you read all of these facts and then you write the play and then on the other side, you start thinking about what's true and not true. I can never remember what's true and not true. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's... Uh, it, it becomes a little nebulous. Yeah. My yeah. first historical play, it I had three years of research. Three whole, it was about Richard III. And I just kept going. There, I read 36 books on this guy. And half of them wow. were pro-Richard, half of them were, it, it's, uh, talk about rabbit holes. This rabbit hole went to China. <laughs> and I told myself, I can't do this again. I don't have that much time left in my life. Uh, I, I need to do a lot of things, not just this one thing. But yeah, you can get wrapped up and completely absorbed and trying to translate the truth of a situation while not exactly translating the literal truth of what happened. That's, right. Yeah, that's and, and how do you and, and why is it relevant now? What why are we why are we telling this story now? Uh, you know, and I have to find some you know contemporary relevance to it. Yeah, well, which is on. what I find interesting. Things don't change that much. Things don't change at all. Things don't People change. don't change. We, we, we get a little bit further in, in some social, cultural, gender issue, and then bang, two steps back. You know, that whole thing about you've come a long way, baby. No, you haven't. <laughs> right. right. Take a good look at this. You haven't. Yeah, and that but, it's, but 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 both are true, right? I would argue both are true at the same the, time. The journey's That's, been long. Where have you gotten? Yes. Yeah. yeah, because you know when it, when I was writing the 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 play of, um, about the women's clan of of Indiana, yeah, just the things that would come out of these these women's mouths, and these are your neighbors and your aunts uh -huh. and your cousins and your I mean these were your just your normal people at the time, right? Yeah. These were your, this, this was you in the 1920s. This is what you would have been saying, you know, and it's just, it's astounding to me that 
that that was just a lot. That was some fertile ground to yeah to to till in Indiana. But it's fascinating. That's the other thing I do as part of my process. Wherever I live, yeah, I've surrounded quite a bit. I I generally will write a play about some historical thing I found there. I like that idea. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's uh, a formula. <laughs> no, but you, you you come up with some some very very interesting stuff. Hall of Final Ruin. My God, Tread Among Serpents. I read that. Like I said, in 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 one go, I just could not let that go. And I kept thinking, what brought you to this? I mean, how did this issue, you know, get to you? And it's one of those questions that people ask playwrights and the playwrights go, oh, don't ask me where I get my ideas from. Please don't do that. Um, oh, I love to, I love to talk about where I got that story um, to tread among serpents happened in my hometown. So I grew up with that story as a kid. I mean, talk right. about the Southern Gothic backdrop to everything I write yeah um and doing so just for your audience for the context this this woman was convicted of a double murder in which she chopped up these two guys and threw them out over 75 miles of rural country roads in Alabama when I was doing the research for this I found a map of where they found all the body parts and um they and I learned that they found an arm in my yard <laughs> wow in the house where I grew up, of course, this was in the 50s before I was even born and I didn't live there, but I lived there ultimately and found out that's my house. So like, no wonder I had a close relationship to this story. Oh, my God. You didn't walk around the house looking for other body parts, did you? No, because I had long moved away and that, you know, that was yeah. when I was a child. But I remember when I was six or seven years old, this this uh, neighbor of mine came up to my mom. We were in the car and she rolled down the window and he's like, did you hear? Lyle Heights out of jail. And everyone was like, oh. and I was like, what, who, who, what, what? Uh, Who's that mama? <laughs> so that's how I know that story. <laughs> that's oof. to have it so directly affect instead of just like being interesting. I'm going to write about this. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Body parts were found in my yard. Mm -hmm. uh, which is a great thing to come up with at a Q and A. It's just toss that off. It's like, oh yeah, they found bits and pieces. It might. Oh, and everybody, I interviewed a lot of people back there. I interviewed the original coroner when I was writing that play, and he had been on the job for six weeks, and that was his first big case. It was probably his only big case in this part of Alabama. Sure. Um, but he was like ninety nine when I talked to him then, <laughs> and he remembered it very well. Oh, Betty did. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's. Better than pull, you know, pulling over drunks and handling domestic disputes and things. No, nope, there were body parts. Yep. Yep. The best drama comes from the worst decisions. It really does. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's well put. I didn't. I didn't think of that, but I'm going to claim it. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You also wrote, for the last 13 years, you've been reading the top 100 novels, and you're up to like number 70-something. This is the single most important influence on my playwriting, and I've got a couple of questions for this one. Whose top 100 novels, where did that particular list come from? All right, because I want to know, know what you're basing this on. Um, what's your favorite? And which one has affected you the most? 
Ooh, okay. So your first question about whose list, that's yeah. a very good question. Cause I usually, when I talk about this, I always preface it with, um, it, all of these lists, it, it, it depends on who's putting them out, but basically there are many, many lists of the top 100 novels, and sure. but there's 85% crossover in any of them. So I just found a list when I was looking at list and I chose one that I had already read 17 books from. You <laughs> think okay. about that now, it's like, I thought I was pretty well read. I'd only read 17 of this 100 novels. In the U.S., uh, that is well-read. <laughs> Sadly, I think you're right. Um, and so I chose that list. And now I don't even remember what it was called. I think it may have been the American Library Associ Association mm -hmm. or similar, right? Um, so that's the list I started with. I think the 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 ooh, it's impossible to choose a, a favorite book, right. but... One that really made an impression on me was Lolita by uh, Nabokov. Really? Yes. Okay, and you just froze. Into having empathy for Humbert Humbert, you know, this horrible pedophile. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I'm reading yeah. it and I was like, I hate you for this. And so I, I really gnawed on that for a long time. Like, how... Can he make me have so much empathy and sympathy for him? How is that possible? And I was just, I chewed on that for a really long time. And actually it came out in A Poison Squad of Whispering Women where I wanted to see, can I do this too? Can I, can I make you, the reader and or audience member, feel some empathy mm -hmm. for these horribly flawed women? who might be your aunt or your neighbor or your cousin, like I said, sure, right? Yeah. Can I, can I, can I get you there? That was my, I always give myself some challenge or some, some skill that I want to learn with every play I write. And, and in that one, it was just the test of, can I, can you see where they're coming from as abhorrent as it is? Exactly. Sympathetic <laughs> antagonist. I don't like what he did, but I understand why she did it. Yes. That's and so, yeah, that's why Lolita is, I think, the one that I pitch as my favorite. Okay, honestly, that that if I had seen the entire list, I would have put that one near the bottom because it the the craft of the writing is brilliant. Yes, but the story itself is just so it's so lazy. It's horrible. It's like oh, I uh, yeah, um, icky. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Although, yeah. you know, at the time, you know, because Nabokov is also from Ithaca. I mean, not from Ithaca, he's from Russia. <laughs> he lived in Ithaca. And so mm -hmm. when I would take the bus to Cornell, you know, we'd pass by one of his three houses. Yeah. And I was like, is that where he was writing? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's still a ticky. Okay. <laughs> yes, granted, icky, icky. Yeah. Okay. So you've got about 30 to go. Good luck with that. Uh, that's. I'm reading War and Peace right now, so you know, check in with me in about three years. Okay, yeah, no, good enough. That's that's yeah. <clears throat> if you can keep the name straight, you get a PhD just for finishing the book. It took me to about page 350 to yeah. go. Okay, I think I understand who is who. Well, I had like printouts and everything, like right. family charts and. <laughs> 
the the diminutives, the patronymics, the, and all that. It's just who are they? Oh, it's this. Wait, that guy? No. Okay. Um, door stop. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> One last question. Then I'm gonna let you go. Um, what's your advice for new playwrights? What's your advice for women? New women playwrights. Women come up to you and say, "I want to be a playwright." What should I know? What should I look out for? Um, I would say, first of all, write what you want. Write what you want to write about. And if you're lucky, maybe some people want to see it. But that, that's, that, that's the best way to bring a rich experience to your play is mm -hmm. to write something that you want to write about that's important to you. I would also say just from a kind of prof not professional, but maybe a just technical standpoint, maybe yeah. that don't be in a rush to get published. Publishing does not a lot for you. Don't, I mean, I, I don't, I, I have one published play. I've not tried to publish others. Uh, if some publisher wants to come to me, then, then fine. But right now, the the opportunities for my plays are limited enough whereas if they are published i can't submit them to most places so there's mm -hmm. i don't see the point in publishing a play because <laughs> i'm not famous you're right you know if i were famous that would be different oh sure yeah. Um, yeah. and i don't have an agent i i am my own agent and so i think i think people come to this come to playwriting thinking the point is to get published and mm -hmm. the point is to get an agent when I think that that really doesn't help at all. In fact, could hold you back. Well, I think there's a serious spillover from the film business and screenwriting. They think, well, if you write something that other people are going to act out, you need an agent and you need to get published or you need to. They think the playwrights need the same things that screenwriters do. Right. And that's not really true. I mean, I've never no. had an agent and I've had two plays published. And I still need to do all the work myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You, you're going to be stuck doing that anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's that's what that would be my advice for for anybody. Good enough. Well, we'll we'll run with that and write our way to fame and fortune. And don't forget, give yourself permission to write badly. Write badly. Yeah, because that will allow you to sleep at night, and you'll feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. Kelly McBurnett, Andronicus, thank you so, so much for being here. This has been so much fun, and it's so good to see you again after, like, so long. I know. Can I just say one thing, though, George? No. No, you, all right, go you, ahead. No, you're going to want to you want to hear this. Yeah. I, I think you're the first living playwright. You and Judith Pratt are the first living playwrights I ever met. So I think you have a lot to do Who with... Who are the dead ones? <laughs> And, and uh, Wolf's Mouth had a great influence on me becoming a playwright. Well, good. I'm glad. Yeah, it's, it was a good experience. And you put me in illustrious company. I, I love Judith's work. I've never thought yes, about corn I. the same way. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You never will again. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was a good experience. And I'm really glad to have met you. So yes. thank you so much. Be well, take care, and please keep writing. Will do, George. Thank you. 
Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, by all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please, stay safe, be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.